Hello and welcome to Mike's Open Journal, a very, very special episode here at number 63 and welcome to year two of Mike's Open Journal. Um, so we're going to have a bit of a look back and reflect at some of the moments from the first year of Mike's Open Journal. Uh, this isn't a highlights, um, it's just a few of the moments that I've picked out when I've listened back to some of the old episodes, not old, previous. Um, <laughs> it's been absolutely amazing to kind of see the, the growth of the podcast, to look at all of the amazing people that have come on, and the stories that they've shared, experienced, um, the friendships that have been made, uh, and just the connection with amazing people around the UK, but... Uh, also abroad with regular guests over from America. Uh, we've had people on from Canada, New Zealand, um, as well as the Netherlands. So it's been absolutely awesome to um, have you guys on. Uh, it's just been a fabulous year of of podcast episodes. I hope you've enjoyed listening as much as I've enjoyed talking i guess <laughs> um yeah it's been absolutely amazing so i'm gonna leave you with what was gonna be a very short episode i kind of had a 10 minute one in mind but looking at the clips that i've lined up i feel like this could end up being a long one um so i just i really hope you enjoy it if you like some of the the clips then um please do let me know uh, i might be able to kind of identify which episodes they are if you let me know and you want to look at, listen to a particular one uh they're all available over at mikesopenjournal.com and I think it's like forward slash previous episodes or something like that. But if you go to the main page, there's a link to all of the previous podcast episodes. As always, you can find the last 20 or so episodes on iTunes and Acast, uh, but the full list of previous podcast episodes will be on the website as well. So thank you very much for listening and... Here's some things that aren't highlights. <laughs> Welcome to Tom. Hi, Tom. Hi there, Mike. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm okay, thanks. Hi, my name's Mafisa, and I'm a lifestyle blogger. Hi, um, my name's Jessica. I'm originally from England, but I'm currently in New Zealand. I blog about my healing and recovery after childhood abuse and mental health difficulties, and I try to encourage others into recovery too. Hi, everyone. I'm Mark a Dutch blogger, culture and lifestyle blogger, and I talk about mental health f quite frequently. Oh, dear. Okay, all right. So we'll jump in. Um, I'm Wes from AudioRising.com, and my buddies here are Mike from Mike's Open Journal and Matt from Surviving My Past, and we have gone through numerous technical difficulties, and yet somehow we still made it back I have experienced depression and anxiety and panic attacks for most of my life. Hi, my name is Joy Richardson. I live in Orlando, Florida. My Twitter username is at Joy Pauline Smith. And my blog um, is www.joysvoices.blogspot.com. Hello, hello. Yes, fingers crossed. Are we working now? Yeah. All right. That's... That was quite good because I got a chance to sort of fan myself for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I kind of, um, yeah, I, I kind of had a couple of thoughts 
as to what just got me doing this and and i'll just go and it'll probably just start rolling from there don't you think yeah that's awesome because i had i had one question and that was it (laughs) (laughs) well i'm done now let's go see okay well it was good talking to you guys I effing give up on both of you. <laughs> it's, it's hopeless. No. Hello. Hi. Yes. Woo-hoo. Yes. <laughs> Finally. Woohoo. Like, when I write, as I said on the other podcast, mm. I don't um, edit at all. Mm. I just write in the moment and... If you can understand my written sort of word, then that's just how I want it to be. Yeah. And it's... I've written about everything, from the good bits to the bad bits to the bits that I've really struggled with. And I think writing it down like that has really helped me. I just left and I thought I can't go back Uh, and I remember going home and just seeing my I was living with my parents at the time and I just got home and my mum was there and she said what are you doing and she saw that I was crying and she just said you know come here gave me a big hug and I just said mum I don't know what's wrong I just I, I feel so miserable and lost and I just don't know how to help myself Mm. Um, but we were always moving and I never got to form any friendships or any connections and because we were always moving I wasn't able to get my roots and I wasn't able to get a job and so I started to get reclusive and more Mm. reclusive and more reclusive and I remember by the time we were in LA I was just staying inside the apartment and the suicidal thoughts were back and I remember sometimes I wouldn't leave the apartment. Like if he was gone during the day, I wouldn't leave it all week long, Monday through Friday. And Mm -hmm. when I did need to go to the grocery store, I would start in the morning trying to put my clothes on thinking, okay, you need to go to the grocery store. And it was just so difficult to get out because I was afraid. What if I, what if I said the wrong thing to the cashier? And I I was just so, I'm, I'm sad for that person that I was because that's just no way to live. Right. And I totally agree because it feels sometimes like I'm stuck in between. Um, if I just, if I just try to mute everything out and I just try and get through the season and this is mostly in the past, I've, I've worked through some of it, but if I, if I just keep my mouth shut and I don't go overboard and people are doing the whole Merry Christmas and the whole music thing and then, you know, and, and it starts to get on my nerves, I just shut down. And you're automatically branded a Scrooge if that's the case. So it's that or you can fake it mm-hmm. and act like it means more to you than it does, which seems disingenuous to ourselves while it, you know, pumps up everybody else around you or makes everyone else think you're quote unquote normal. Um, so yeah, it can just be, I mean, when you put all that together, it just, it just becomes stress. It just becomes more, more stress. If we're prone to anxiety and depression anyway, it's just going to exacerbate that. And, um, and you know, we have to decide whether we're going to be authentic and piss people off (laughs) or if we're going to be, or if we're going to be disingenuous to ourselves and make everyone else happy. And my natural tendency is to lead toward making everyone else happy. Mm. I always just um, sort of kept all that 
private. Like people knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. And then I just came up this with this website like, oh, like this is what's been happening like all this time. And yeah, that's when it all it all started coming out. And they were sort of like, but, you know, I didn't know about this before. Hmm. But I think it, it, it was sort of a good way for me to um, to say sort of what had been happening, but also try and help people in the process. Yeah. I mean, it's very easy um, to forget that you're not alone. Mm. That's something that I've always thought about. People who suffer with anything, you know, um, depression, anxiety, even even minor things that they don't they don't even necessarily know they're suffering. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, And then they want to talk about it. Mm. And that is great. That is a fantastic thing to me. Um, And there's not enough of it. It's still it's still stigmatized Mm. in so many ways. Um. I feel like a lot of the friends that I did have have sort of stopped speaking to me because of it. But in a way, like, it's made the people that are the closest to me stronger Mm. towards me. Yeah. So it's a bit like I'm sad that I've not got many friends, but I'm happy that the people closest to me, like, now know me. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so Mm. they can appreciate, yeah. Um, for example, my friends really struggle with it, so they can appreciate the fact that I can't go out at the moment or thing. But if I were to say, no, I can't get out of my bed, I can't leave my home, they would say, oh, what if we came and get you? Yeah. So uh, they don't really understand the depth. Mm. Um, and at the beginning, I really struggled with relationships as well, real life. But the thing uh, I have experienced now is because I have all got you friends online, which I talk about, uh, talk with a lot, my relationship in real life have improved as well. Yeah. Because the frustration of not understanding on one side and expecting people to understand is less because I have all these great friends online who understand me. And then frustration is less with people in real life and then... I think that's very beneficial of this community. And I think uh, I've never heard a therapist say it's very good to talk to people online or anything. They have always said, are you sure this is the right way to go continue to go forward? But I say those people are really helped me. And now they have accepted after a few months, but they never really uh, reach out to me and say, yeah, that's a good thing to do. Since I was about 24, I think that was the first time that I um, recognized that it was that I was experiencing mental health problems that were actually what I would consider medical as opposed to prior to that. I just thought I'm, I'm down. I'm, you know, not happy. There are things in my life I want to change. This was. Um, and I should say that I, I 
my mental health problems have always been around depression and recurrent depression. And more recently, it's been about, um, I had a, a new diagnosis last year, 18 months ago. Um, I was diagnosed as having bipolar disorder type 2. Um, yeah, it is definitely a thing that people, it, it's it's ammunition to use against someone, um, especially if you, because it's almost like a criminal justice kind of system where if you get one strike, you know, if you've been in before, yeah. the next the next time it's even easier mm-hmm. to to be admitted, um, and it's very very traumatic. Uh, um, I got worse when I went through those those um, situations because they force you to take you know they they force you to take medication. They're putting needles in you, mm-hmm. you know, not to scare anyone who might be listening to this, but it's it is scary though, and um, I've always been interested in how that works in other countries. Um, and of course, like you were saying before, you can see that kind of thing in uh, American movies, mm-hmm. TV all the time. Um, and in some cases like the straight jacket and the yelling and screaming, that kind of stuff that I didn't see that, mm-hmm. um, where I was, but being there against your will and seeing a lot of people who, um, just looking at them, a lot of people would say, oh, that person is crazy. That person's dangerous. Something like that. You are with a lot of people like that. Yeah. Like I had a roommate when I was in one of the hospitals who would steal from me. Um, anytime I left the room, he would steal. You're not allowed to have very much of any of your own possessions, but clothing, things like that, he would steal. Mm. Um, got my roommate switched to someone else and I would wake up sometimes with him just standing over me. And I would look up and I would just turn around and be like, oh, I'm just going to pretend he's not there. And he would start talking in a demonic voice to someone who wasn't there while standing over my body while, while I was lying in bed. So very scary. So in a lot of ways, I looked at those things as a deterrent. Um, Don't, you know, it, it, it's like, don't do anything that might, make you make me have to end up in a place like that again Mm. stay off the grid kind of stay at home keep to myself don't don't talk too much about how i'm feeling in case somebody takes it the wrong way Mm. i i know like when i realized what i was going through and i was looking on the internet i think if somebody was looking for answers through Mm. the internet like so many people do yeah uh, it's a great way to get to not only reassure them that there is light on the other side of the tunnel, so to speak. Yeah. But there's also that they're not alone, but also uh, things that have, like you said, that have worked. Like I came across uh, some ideas on like being positive and lifting your mood when you're feeling down and going through a down period things like having a gratitude jar and also like practicing mindfulness mm. and things like that like there's a, a few mindfulness journals but you know i think when other people are real and whenever they divulge things about themselves it really does help you connect and realize oh yes these are real people they do have struggles and i know that i had after posting the stigma fighter piece i had two people uh, message me saying that they were dealing with the same things and then asking for some advice. And that made me feel 
great that I had spoken up and that hopefully something in my struggle can maybe possibly help them. My blog is, is really my baby and it's just, it started um, when I was first diagnosed with anxiety, anxiety disorder, mm. I needed to, to do something to get my mind off of things. So that that's where my blog started. So and at the first it was only culture, lifestyle, nothing mental health related. Related. But then I just felt so uh, misunderstood and I felt so alone in in real life, so to speak. So I I started to write about how I felt, not really in a article or story setting, but just writing my emotions down. Yeah. I was quite nervous and scared for the reactions uh, for several reasons because, you know, mental health is a real um, big thing to talk about uh, uh, because a lot of people react in a way you didn't, don't want them to react. It's, it's a stigma. It's, it's a taboo, as, so to speak. Yeah. But when I spoke about it, and I was a bit insecure about my English as well when I started, but the reactions were just fantastic, and I felt really good talking about it, and that's why I started talking about it more and more, and sort of documenting my, well, the, di- the diagnosis I got, I got uh, diagnosed depression and OCD after mm. that, and it's it really enabled me to let out my emotion, my feelings more, and be able to talk about it and and specific uh, specific with other men because I think it's rather difficult for us men to speak out sometimes. Exactly, but I've noticed that it's very much like as soon as I started to talk about my story, other people started to talk about theirs, and I think that's what it is. Like talking about mental health is like a chain. Once one person starts, more people will open up and talk about theirs because, like, so many people suffer from mental illness. Like, it just it still baffles me why it's a taboo subject mm. because, like, it's just, like, one in four people. That's just a crazy statistic. No. But we don't talk about it. So I think that's why it's good to talk about it because we need to, like make it part of our everyday conversation and for it to be okay to be part of everyday conversation. Mm. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's spot on. I've, I've had quite a few friends where I, just like you were saying, I'm not allowed to talk about my personal issues and that's so much of my life that it becomes, what am I even going to talk about with you anymore? We don't have, we don't really have anything else in common right now. You know, like some people, they just had, maybe they just had a baby or they're, they're getting married. These are things that I am not involved in. I'm dealing with trying to get my life together and they don't want to hear about it. Not allowed to say anything or they, you know, they get touchy. Yeah. So you lose contact with those people. You, you get, you know, um, you grow apart Mm. and you lose a lot of friends. And, uh, but then I don't know the people who are very mean about it. I view that always as it's some kind of, some kind of projection. Mm. Um, and so often it's very true. The people who, um, feel the need to pick apart 
oh, this thing's wrong with you. You need to you need to fix it. Um, I mean, a they're controlling people usually. The, the ones who tell you you need to fix what's wrong with you. B yes, they are generally ignorant. Um, and maybe if they knew more about it, they wouldn't be the same way. But then C they are almost always dealing with something of their own, yeah. and they are projecting that onto you. Mm. <clears throat> So when I'm thinking about stigma being a killer, I mean that in a literal sense because, you know, I mean, you guys have probably seen the 22 push-up challenge that's going on now for yeah. for yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, for PTSD. I just saw on Sky News last night they did a thing on it. So it's, it's definitely ex- – and I saw one from Australia. So even just that is, is expanding beyond our borders where, you know, 22 – People who have served in the military and have been, well, maybe not diagnosed, but are, are dealing with depression and, P- and PTSD issues are killing themselves at a rate of 22 on average per day. And that's just one small demographic. That's just – and I don't mean to belittle it because that's huge. But what about the people that are suffering from abuse and trauma in their backgrounds who have similar issues and, and it's, kind of a, it's kind of silently killing people – on, on on that basis too, whether it be military service or just the garbage that we've gone through in the past. So I think that this is a tool. All of our podcasts, all of our all of our blogs are tools to get the word out that men have got to start talking. Men have got to start opening up and they need to shed the shame and just start talking. And I mean we've discussed this before too. It's like, you know, when I record a podcast Essentially, it's for me, you know, it's it's something that I want to say and it's something I'm passionate about or or whatever the case may be. And I put it out there. And if other people want to join in, great. And but to, to me, it's it's like therapy. And I'm realizing that when I'm carrying on a conversation with an actual person that's right in front of me, I tend to speak a little better than I did before I started podcasting. And I think it's because I have to slow down. I have to think about, sure, I can edit it out, which you can't do. <laughs> Believe me, if I screw up a conversation, I'm done. I can't hit the edit button. But um, <laughs> but uh, I, I feel like I think I think before I speak a little bit more now and I maybe can articulate a little bit more and you guys are sitting there going, have you listened to yourself on this freaking thing? <laughs> um, <laughs> I was thinking someone at work told me this week when you give instructions, they're so unclear. <laughs> Apparently that's not happened for me. <laughs> it's clear in my mind, damn it. You, know? yeah, you just don't understand. You're <laughs> not. You know, and it's not like you want to say, well, that's because you're stupid. You know, you don't want to go that route. But no. <laughs> oh, you're not thinking it. <laughs> the first impression is so critical. Yeah. Uh, what, what this book is maybe trying to talk to is that maybe it's the second or third impression that it really is going to make a difference. Mm. And and you got to got to be open to that, not just judge and then have it always be the same, because certainly... If you think they're a certain way, you'll only see those things that confirm that belief because that's your assumption. And I kind of want to take the stigma out from it Mm. because there's so much stigma towards mental health with boys and young people and that shouldn't be around because that's what stops people from wanting to say, 
hello, I've got anxiety or, you know? Um, so if, with a physical injury, yeah, it's very black and white. Yeah. And it's, you know, something that everybody can relate to that people generally have an understanding about. Like, oh, okay, yeah, you have a, a broken arm or you have a cold or... I maybe know a lot more in a sense like mm. and I guess like I know what works for me and um she is very much has one of her approach and she's not really like flexible with it she just has like that like I don't know like I think I was still sort of trying to think positive about this whole thing or like and now speaking to my like uh, previous therapist it just confirmed that like actually it hasn't been that great and she's not a great match for me and that's okay yeah um she was com- like comparing it to like it was like dating sites like you don't always get a great date so it's like <laughs> therapy like you don't always get a great therapist um but like yeah um which is good because before I, I just thought I was a bit picky maybe and I was like well I need to be grateful that at least I'm seeing someone because it's so hard to see like you know through NHS like it's it's hard to see a good therapist and I mean the amount of time you have to wait like you can't you just feel like you can't complain about it because you've waited like months and months like you just suck it up and deal with it but yeah, exactly. I just think that's just so important to be open about things. Like, I mean, when I was doing some research about uh, that particular post about sexual abuse, so, and they were saying that, uh, basically, they were saying that, that uh, young men, the biggest cause of death is, is suicide. Mm. Because people just don't necessarily talk about things, especially young guys. Yeah. And it was, kind of, you know, I just really think it is important to just talk about things that, you know, get any, there's a, no topic is kind of off limits so that people do feel they can talk about things because it's just the, it's the isolation and the, and the loneliness, I think. It's just, that's what really kind of, you know, gets to you. I mean, particularly with the infertility sort of side of things. Although it does, I reckon it affects kind of one in seven uh, couples. So it's mm. quite common. But even even now, you don't really hear people talking about it, you know, that much. And when I was going for it sort of about seven, eight years ago, um, people just didn't really talk about it. You know, it was people, IVF wasn't as common. It's becoming more common. But you just kind of felt really isolated, I guess. Like, it's really sort of lonely. And especially as a sort of 30-year-old woman, everybody is getting pregnant around you, you know. Mm. So, like, every, literally it feels like every few weeks there'll be, like, a family member or a friend or someone at work is pregnant. And you've got this whole thing where you feel like you can't talk about it. And and people sort of saying really sort of insensitive things like, you know, it's about, you better hurry up and you think about this. And you think, well, if only you knew, you know, yeah. what, I'm, what I'm going through. So, yeah, it can be like a really kind of isolating, really lonely kind of experience, really. So I think anything that you can do to sort of open up and help somebody else that's going through it. And also, you know, because I did go through so many years of, of the treatment and the IVF and that kind of stuff, I actually know a lot more about pregnancy than most of my friends that have got kids. <laughs> it's, it's quite sad, really, because you, know, you spend so many hours researching everything online, joining different chat rooms and different groups and that sort of stuff. That I've got friends that are, that are pregnant that ask me questions about it, you know, because you end up knowing so much more about it than even those people. And so, although in the end I didn't actually end up with the baby I kind of like to feel like if I could help someone else who is going through the um, 
infertility or IVF, if I could help, like, give them some advice. Mm. I've got a few people that are messaging me, you know, at the moment, um, asking me tips or about the process and different treatments because there's so much jargon. I was born into, for lack of a better way of putting it, an <laughs> upper middle class home, a, a home that from the outside, you would never think that there were uh, there was any sort of abuse or major dysfunction going on. Because from the outside, it looked like everybody, you know, was well put together, um, educated, um, just, you know, good people kind of thing. And it was mm. all really a facade. And the problem was there was a lot of abuse going on, a lot of emotional abuse, a lot of um, neglect. I mean, I was five years old when my mother dropped me out of a two-story window, uh, resulting in my breaking both of my arms. Um, and these are the things that people, you know, because of the lies that were told and the things that get covered up, as a child growing up, you have to find a way to escape. And, and some children start to escape into substance abuse, um, or we hear about children now that are cutting, mm. um, or, um, you know, anorexia, all different sorts of problems and, and ways that they cope with it. For me, I began to cope with it by running away from home. And it's a really sad state when you realize a child would rather be victimized by somebody on the streets, by somebody that they're not supposed to be cared about, you know, that that's not supposed to love them, mm. than to be in a home where you have like a bed and three meals a day and a bathroom and, you know, all the amenities. But the abuse is coming from someone who isn't just abusing you, but breaking your heart in the process in a, in a very different way, right? Yeah. And then I don't know about you, but like when it comes to like job applications and like the last question is always well over here anyway like do you consider yourself to have a disability and then yeah. they explain like oh disability is a physical impairment or like a mental health problem and then I'm like do I tick yes or do I just leave it and like is that something I disclose to interview because mm. I always have a sense that like as soon as you mention the words mental health like like an alarm kind of goes off in their heads mm. and it shouldn't because like as a society now as a whole, I think we're a lot more open. Like people are talking more about mental health, but it's always been a like a difficult decision for me to put down on an application form as to whether I have like a mental health problem. And then you know, like I feel like it has a real impact mm. on whether you get even like you even get to interview in the first place. Because if somebody applies for a job and like puts down that they don't have any disability. Like, as discriminatory as it is, I think an employer might always be inclined to, like, automatically give that person an interview. Maybe that's just my opinion on it, though. Well, originally, when I first noticed that I was doing things like that, it was the same with calls as well. So if I called someone and they didn't answer, I'd start to worry. Mm. Originally, when I first felt like that, I felt really, like, stupid and clingy. Because obviously, I was in a relationship, like I said. I felt really clingy. Mm. And um, my boyfriend at the time wasn't very nice and used to call me clingy. So it didn't really help. <laughs> um, I don't think I understood what was happening. Yeah. But it would be like, if I text someone especially if someone, someone I really care about, if it's just like, oh, just some stranger, because apparently I do that very often, then I won't mind so much. I'll presume they've got a life. But if it's someone that I'm really close with and I text them and um, it's been like, let's say an hour or two, the, I can't, like, the physical symptoms will come first. So like my heart will start beating a bit faster and I'll get really warm. 
and start like getting clammy hands and stuff and think oh no it's coming so then what tends to happen is i might try and call them and reach out in a different way to try and settle in think oh you know they're fine and then eventually when they get back i'm like why was i worried it's one of those like oh why was i anxious nothing's happened which happens every single time Mm. so it can be quite frustrating but it's something that i recently went through with my therapist and it makes a lot more sense now because anxiety is very structured And it's very, so like there's a certain strategy that goes through your head in terms of from the original triggering action to the anxiety attack, which is very useful. Well, actually, when I started my blog, it wasn't about mental health at all. Mm. I didn't know that it would take that route whatsoever. Um, It was merely a fact of one day, it was a January bleak day, And I thought, oh, I'm not feeling too great today. Um, And I've been blogging for about a month, month and a half. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to write about it. So I did. And that was my first ever mental health post. And it got quite a good reaction um, with what at the time was my teeny tiny following of about 10 people on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it went down really well. So I thought, actually not only did this help me to write it, mm. it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. Um, but also, actually, when I first started writing, I was mm, kind of nearly starting to be in recovery anyway. So it all sort of happened prior to my blog happening. Oh, okay. Um, but my blog for me was firstly, I am a very creative person and although my job's quite creative anyway, I needed just sort of that extra level of creativity because it was sort of in me and had nowhere to go. Um, I'd always loved writing ever since I was, well, for as long as I can remember, I always wrote as a child, whether that be like poems, stories, whatever. Well, I, I listened to your podcast with Hannah. Yeah. And uh, apart from the uh, well, the little part, she mentioned my name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> I was, I was, I, oh yeah, I was not dancing or anything, but I was like, yeah, oh, you were, yeah, you were. <laughs> <laughs> but um. It's just great to hear the voices and just get to know the person a bit better. Mm. Uh, just, you know, having little jokes or just a way of talking. Uh, it's not always always that serious. It's all. It can also be fun, and yeah. it's good to learn to know the persons behind the blogger. Yeah, uh, so to speak. Mm. So that's that's cool, and um, that's why I, I love the series uh, because you get to know a bit more about the person yeah and then you get a more complete thing and i think that's great and also um well the meetups you know they're going to be yes uh, meetups uh, and that's that's great and that just it becomes more of a person than just a online friend so yeah dad came upstairs and then I heard them saying like it's happened and I was like what's happened but obviously that didn't come out either 
men phoned the doctors. It was around quarter to six at night, and the doctors closed at six. But I heard her say, no, she needs to come in. She's had a breakdown. Hmm. And I was like, I've had a breakdown? I've had a breakdown? I was like, what? Next thing I know, I was in the doctors. Mum done all this talking. I didn't have a clue what she was talking about, but apparently it was about me. Hmm. And then the doctor was like, your daughter has depression. Here's some telepram. See if the college have a counsellor. And then off I went. And then I was like, oh, okay. Hmm. I was like, this is new. Yeah. I was like, what is this? So next day, I didn't go to college because I started my medication. I think I was off for a week. Hmm. Then my dad were really good. My dad had suffered mental health problems before, so he was amazingly supportive. He knew everything, like... Basically, he told me what I was thinking, which was nice because I thought I was losing the plot. Mm. And it was awful. And then Mim finally got through to a college counsellor. I think I saw her for three weeks and then I had to drop out of college, could not do it. And things got really bad. And it was just went to pot, really. And... Yeah, it was just, I couldn't get out of bed. I hardly spoke to any of my friends, even if I did speak to them at all. And it was just, I was in a really, really dark place. And then I remember one night I was sat in the living room and I'd been, like, hearing things. My muscles had been spasming and it was just really, really odd. So I told my dad and I was like, Dad, I don't feel too well. And then he was like, why, what's wrong? So I told him all of my symptoms, like how my muscles were spasming, I was mm. hearing things. Like, this wasn't normal for me. And then he was like, oh, don't worry about it. It might just be a medication type of thing. Mm. He was like, go to bed, try and sleep it off, because it was quite late. And I was like, okay, no worries. And then my dad worries about me, when I was a little girl, obviously. So it was around 2 o'clock in the morning and men woke me up and I had to go downstairs and my dad was on the phone to mental health out of hours and I had to speak to them and I was speaking to a doctor and then I had to reassure him that I wasn't having any suicidal thoughts mm. and I obviously wasn't and then he was like, okay, pass me back on to your dad and my dad's like, okay, I can get her to the doctors at 8 o'clock in the morning. It's a few hours. We'll get her there type of thing. Mm. It's no problem. Uh, I was like, what the hell's happening? And hung up. And my dad's like, we think you might have serotonin syndrome. And I was like, what the hell's that? Mm. I was like, I've got depression. I was like, now I've got this. And I was like, what is it? And then he was like, it's from your tablets, your body's producing too much serotonin. And then we looked online because the doctor didn't give us much information on it. Mm. And then if you leave it for so long, it turns out you can end up in some sort of coma. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. (laughs) So (laughs) 8 o'clock in the morning, we were literally at the doctor's doors, told the doctor what had happened. And then he was like, "Okay, off the citalopram, goodbye. And that was it. And I was like, ugh. Uh, I, I, I was just I got home and then I was like so does that mean I'm not mentally ill anymore but I was still in such a dark place I had all these awful ruminating thoughts and I was like mm. is this what life's going to be for me I'm is this 
normal for me. I was so confused. I was 16 years old and I was so confused. And I was like, well, I suppose I'm going to have to try and live with it. Okay, so in um, 2014, I was diagnosed with depression in August, September time. Mm. Um, Prior to that, I'd been suffering for about three months and I didn't know what to do with it, didn't know where to go, didn't know what to do. Um, And it took me quite a while to go to the doctor. Um, But I was diagnosed with anxiety when I was about eight or nine. Mm. So that's been going on for quite a long time. Um, And the doctor said to me, well, said my mum, it's anxiety, she'll grow out of it, and sent us on our way. And here I am at 20, and I haven't grown out of it, Mm. (laughs) basically. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I haven't grown out of it at all, in fact. Um, It's actually only worsened. Mm. But anyway, um, I'll come back to that. Um, So after... I went to the doctor. He gave me the number for a company called Your Trust mm. to provide, um, <clears throat> sorry, counselling and therapy services. Blah blah blah. So I had literally just talking therapy. It wasn't CBT. It wasn't anything really. Okay. It was just talking therapy. Yep. Um, because my uh, triggers, if you like, are trauma related. Okay. So I had to go for six weeks every week and speak to a lovely, lovely lady called Peggy. She was so lovely Mm. Um, about the trauma that I experienced and what I was going through and had to fill out a questionnaire every week until I was feeling fine. And then in just before my last session, the sixth session in that week, um, that was when I started to experience panic attacks in all their glory um prior to that it was more of a generalized anxiety daily sometimes it would pop up sometimes it wouldn't and nothing ever really sort of happened with it it was completely manageable and in fact for years it didn't bother me for years it wasn't an issue um until the last week of that therapy session came and it all went downhill Mm. um i had an awful panic attack I will never ever forget that night I've written about it um it's quite hard to speak about so forgive me (laughs) there would be sometimes quite derogatory in the terms they would use um about you know if you hear in the news like at the minute like it seems that every terrorist attack is being attributed to somebody with mental health problems or every shooting is attributed to somebody with mental health problems like obviously as it comes up in the news we talk about it um, and you, when you hear the term like you know they're loonies they're just mental like just not nice terms to describe somebody with a mental health problem and I'm kind of sitting there being like how can I tell them that I have a mental health problem when that's their natural reaction yeah um, I think I said one day like somebody I knew had um, a real problem with like public toilets Um and like couldn't go and like wouldn't go to the bathroom until I got home and like as soon as I saw the look on one of their faces I was like I actually cannot tell her that I have the same problem sometimes Mm. um when it comes to depression um obviously I only just got diagnosed this week um 
so it's been really difficult to process but I had to tell my manager so that I could get out to go to counselling today Mm. um and like I was surprised because it just didn't phase her whatsoever um she was really like receptive of it and she was like you know that's totally fine um she was like if you need space or you need to take a walk you know just go and I'll know um but I'm not quite ready to tell the rest of my colleagues just yet um I think I need to process it for myself first Mm. and then maybe at some stage I'll share but I'm quite like yourself and that I kind of keep my work life and my social life when it comes to mental health very very separate yeah um basically the new therapy I try to be very very positive about it because I got extremely I don't know lucky I guess with the therapist I found on Big White Wall and I just thought you know it can only get better from there so the first two sessions I was really trying hard to focus on the good things sort of around the weird things that she wasn't really explaining clearly or she wasn't focusing on Mm. um and by the fourth it was I think third session she sort of told me what she wanted like what she expected from me um to do and I was just really sort of shocked because I haven't done anything with the new therapies that was like challenging that helped me um because like we do the score she's like you know are you feeling like the anxiety depression and like you put your scores and then like she checks them every week and then she noticed that my went like up a bit and then like she was like oh so you feel better but I was like yeah because like I've been reading a nice book that like really helped me like I've not felt good after the sessions I've just tried to make see the good side of it but by like the third session I was just like she's expecting me to do like she says she only wants to give me eight to ten sessions mm. which for the start I was like are you freaking kidding me like I had over 20 sessions online and then like because I was like exposures and everything eventually when we got to them um and then like we were by the third session and then we had four sessions like last week as well like a couple of days after and I was like I'm halfway through and like miracles can happen and can get better but like what she's expecting from me right now it's not possible because the whole thing about that therapy was that I was supposed to get better to that stage that I felt comfortable to do what she wants me to do um but she hasn't helped me to get to that point so um yeah it was very eventually I was just very like disappointed with the whole thing and like because I waited so long for that and obviously like people say I'll just you know get a different one change it but it's so it's not so straightforward oh when I was young I felt like there was something different about the way that I thought um and the way I processed things and there were um also changes that I was going through that didn't seem to be normal and from the time I was young, my parents would take me to doctor after doctor after doctor. So I'm the opposite of you. I've been to doctors my whole entire life. Um, and it wasn't until I was um, 19 that um, I found out that the reason for all of this and even affecting my mental health was that I had a brain tumor. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so um, I, I kind of feel like 
mental health is sort of like a, it's a physical, um, it is a physical um, illness. Um, it it changes the way your brain works, mm. but because because people can't see it, um, it's not a broken arm, you know. Um, like like my brain tumor, the the doctors couldn't see it, um, so I went for a decade without getting help. Um, and I think mental health can be the same. It's very easy for people to not understand it. And yeah. I think that's what they're afraid of. They, they don't understand it. They can't see it. They can't fix it. Um, during that first hospitalization, um, which, which, and this is another thing, like obviously the majority of, of people that, that hurt themselves, mm. um, that deal with self-harm is, is female. Um, of course, there's men out there that, that hurt themselves. And, and I'm one of those men. You know, I've, I've had a history of, of self-harm. Mm. Uh, but when I, during that first hospitalization, uh, one of the counselors, um, he made a ridiculous statement. He was, when, when he saw, when he looked at my wrist and he saw, like, scars or whatever, he's like, oh, you don't want to hurt yourself. That's something only girls do, which is so, so, so ridiculous. And I know people are going to hear this and be like, how is he a counselor? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which oh, my is, God. Yeah, and, and it's just like all that aside. It's just like, it's like, like you said, stop. Yeah, people should just stop trying to say like, oh, it's just a sad female looking out the window. She's crying at night. She's hurting herself. It's like no, like there's guys that hurt themselves too. And even for me, mm-hmm. one of my pieces that got published, um, the editor of the, the the owner of the website, she she was a female. She was just like, she's like, oh hey, do you want to maybe talk about? you feel being a man that lives with mental illness and this was uh this was in 2013 Mm. when she asked me the question i just i was blown away i was just like that's ridiculous i was like i i don't i don't view myself any differently i'm like i don't when i think of myself living with a mental illness i'm not thinking oh i'm a man and i thought i was just like i was like at the end of the day we're all the same and i was just like i'd rather not include anything about that because it's not something that that i think about or, or care about but it just it just goes to show like man there's so many people that, that are in that field they work in that field as doctors or whatever and they still have that same mindset and i'm just like um so i mainly suffered with post-traumatic stress anxiety and then i had quite severe ocd um and which was sort of uh, checking routines and checking plugs and doors and taps and I also couldn't write for quite a while. Okay. Um, I could I could type, but just not pen to paper. And um, yeah, and I couldn't get out of the house. And then I started this long sort of journey of getting treatment and getting help, and sort of trying to get to the bottom of what was happening, as it was just getting worse and worse. Yeah, and that's the most difficult thing because it's not something that comes to us. Um, naturally i mean we we literally have to work at it you know there and and i don't know why we should feel so bad because there are there are people out there who have to work hard at developing a work ethic and you know not to say that we're these great fantastic workaholics that get everything done but well, but we um, are. <laughs> well yes that's true that's all true um, but at the same time, there are people that, that struggle with with staying motivated and we struggle with being demotivated. And, and you know, I, I, I agree. I, it's an anxious mind. I spend as much time, if not more, running around preparing to do something than I do actually doing it. And it drives me insane. But again, if I can make a little bit of progress, uh, 
each day, then I need, need to count that as victory and, and live in that moment and be able to celebrate it and say, this was, this was a good day. Yes. Yes. No, I, I, I know exactly what you mean. Like when, when I had my boss tell me that, um, when I had my first marketing job, even, even the last marketing job I had here in LA, uh, when I, I around it was April of last year, and that was around the time I was kind of feeling homesick. Um, I was missing my family a lot. I was feeling kind of depressed, and and I told my boss, I asked my boss for some time off, and I was just like, hey, I'm just I'm feeling depressed. I'm burned out. Can I get some time off. And when I told him that I was depressed, he's like, you're depressed. He just said it like I I was a ghost, or I I said the most ridiculous thing in the world, and even that for me was just at that point I was kind of like how how you were. Uh, with your friend, you, yeah. you, you understand, you, you know, sometimes, you know, a lot of times, a lot of people are just going to be ignorant or just not well informed. And, and around that time, like I said, you know, I was depressed. I was burned out. I didn't have any energy in me to tell them, be like, hey, like depression, mental illness is something real, whether you believe it or not, whether mm. it's something you've never dealt with in your culture, that's fine. But just know that what I'm saying is is, is valid. Um, that's what I would have wanted to say. Of course, I had no energy. I was just like, I'm not going to argue with this guy. I'm not going to. Yeah. I'm not going to educate him, um, but it's it just it just goes to show it's just like some people just just don't get it. So so I know exactly where you're coming from mm. with that, because I, I know there's certain people I can talk to about it. But then if I come across something like like my those those two bosses I had or someone saying, oh, it's just all in your head. I know at the end of the day, like, you know what? These people are always going to they may never get it. And it's not I can share my story. I can raise awareness. Uh, I can try to break that stigma. But they just. They just probably won't ever get it. So I just kind of, I just know like, okay, I can't, I can't talk to them about it. I think my group of friends are sort of like, I understand, but I sort of knew they didn't. Like, oh yeah, yeah, I get it. And I'm like, you don't know. Like, I don't think you really get it, but thanks for the support. <laughs> like, I think, I think it is hard. It's hard to understand it when you have no idea like of anything relating to mental health. Hmm. Or, you know, you have a little bit, you know, of anxiety in certain situations. But when someone's like, I cannot stop checking, you know, the plug and the kettle. And it is quite hard to to grasp for someone else. But, um, yeah, I had support, but I just (laughs) don't think they fully understood, like, what was happening. And maybe still don't now. And so my counselor had told me that because of my biology and because of my genetics, there's probably always something that's going to be poking at me. And she gave me an example. She said, if you are a bus driver and you're driving down the road and you have some, uh, not patients, some people who get on your bus who are causing scene and being wild, and then you may have some customers getting onto your bus who are calm and serene. But if you're trying to get to your destination and you need to get to your destination and these passengers who are causing a scene, what do you do with them? Hmm. And her advice was you just keep driving. You you look at the scenery, you look at the grass out in front of you, you look at the barn off to the side of the road and you keep going forward. And so that was one thing about mindfulness is that these thoughts are going to come, but not to engage with them and not to fight them and not to struggle with them. And that's what's helped me so much is the mindfulness, the bare attention of life as it's unfolding. And that's helped me to not engage in the, of course, it's difficult when you're in the moment and when you're obsessing about something, but that advice was so 
it was perfect for me. And I love that analogy that she, she shared. And I've shared that with others as well. So, mm. Which I've, I have heard that before. And I think it's a different, I guess it's different approaches. Cause I've, I think when I originally found out about the, um, CBT stuff down here is it was very much like, um, you sort of go through, have your assessment with them. And yeah. they said, um, so you can have traditional, oh, did it, I can't forget the phrase in there, but I think they said traditional therapy will involve you going away, seeing a, a, a therapist or a counsellor or whatever. And they'll go through with you um, issues that you may have around like relationships, your childhood or whatever. Um, okay. And they'll work out kind of why that's happened, how it's affected you and how to resolve that. Yeah. Um, or you can work with us um, on CBT, which is very much about um, looking at where you stand right now um, oh, okay. and how we can kind of improve that. So if you've got um, like negative thoughts, yeah, they said we will not look into um, if you've got, like I say, some relationship issue or some childhood issue. We're not going to look into that. That's not what we're going to do. We're going to work on if you've got low mood, then we're going to work on um, yeah, low mood. True. Yeah. Um, and it was, I found that really handy in regards to like basically having no understanding or information beforehand. Um, and I, I, I remember saying to the, um, the therapist that I was talking to who was doing the assessment and I said, maybe there is stuff there that, um, I need to like talk about or look at with regards to like previous relationships or yeah. childhood. But I said, right now I'm in a really bad place and I recognize that actually like, you get to a stage where you're a bit of a danger to yourself. And I said, I, I need to focus on where I am right now. Um, and that's the most important thing. And looking back at other stuff for me, maybe, or maybe doesn't need to be done, but that's not the priority right now. Yeah. Um, and so for me, it worked really well because the person that explained it to me, explained it in a really clear way for me. So I understood what we were going to look at and what okay. we weren't going to look at. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of times we go through uh, transference where we we had a bad relationship. So we think the next one, you know, we overcorrect, you know, uh, and we get something that maybe we really didn't want or need. And, and we apply other people's traits to the new person as that it's going to be just like them. Well, nobody is just like anybody else, period. It's just not. You can't. We're all snowflakes. You know. You yeah. know. We're all we're all different. And and I think you know uh, one of the things I, I I try to get into the to the book here is that I don't know where you're coming from. Uh, I I only know that there are certain kinds of things that happen when you're trying to get through change and letting go uh, is one of the most difficult uh, because especially if it's a relationship thing where you were hurt somehow, uh, you were just, just maybe blindsided or surprised and you can't shake the feeling that it just, it can really be devastating. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and another person not necessarily going to be able to fix it or fill it. It's got to come from the inside. And, and then having said that, depending on what's happening in your life or what you're open to or how strong you are as a person, you could in one nanosecond change your mind and change the way you feel about everything mm. it, it just it we have this power we can change our mind and and when we change it 
then we live with a new scenario. And so it's easy. I, it's easy to say this. Yeah. It's not easy to do it. Uh, but I, I, I struggle sometimes with, with things that I'm going through. You know, if I, if I have a client that I've got kind of a sour relationship for some reason or things just didn't work out for them, I really, my goal was to make, have a positive impact on their business. And, and if I failed or I didn't deliver 100%, I want to I want to keep working at it till I get there because I feel obligated. And sometimes you just don't get that in business. You kind of lose the business and you got to move on. And it hurts because isn't it true that everybody wants to be loved? Yeah. And and you know if if you get you have one person that just thinks you're an idiot, I don't care where they are. That that can that can hang in your head like you're trying to change their mind. You just wish you could get in front of them, uh, but they they hold on to it and it it could bug us for a long time. Uh, smartphone with me and went straight onto the mind website to look up the definition of bipolar disorder type 2 and i remember reading this uh, the, the definition and just tears rolling down my face because i thought this is just describing me yeah um and it felt like a, a moment of clarity in like 10 years of a mess I mean because it had been so disruptive in my life I have not had addiction problems but I'm so sensitive to people who do because it I mean it's difficult dealing with our minds and things like that so about um, eight years ago, I think, I wrote my first book, and it was Welcome the Rain, Choosing to See Beyond Life Storms. And in it, I have, it's the idea that we can choose how we look at life. Mm. If rain is coming, the businessman can say, oh, great, it's raining today. My shoes are going to get wet. My car is going to, I just washed my car. Or across town, we can see the farmer who is saying, wow, we are so blessed. We mm. have the rain. Yeah, it's very personal in many cases and in most cases. And a lot of people are afraid to uh, to talk about it, plain and simple, just afraid. And it's a bit, uh, going back a little bit on what you were saying about mm. the UK, it sounds like it ha- you have um, a better system beyond the fact that you have proper health care <laughs> um, <laughs> because it, let's let's you know let's be honest it's it's a joke here in America and there's no real uh, proper treatments like for someone like me for example I um, right now I haven't left the house I think today's 203 days in a row and there's not uh, there's not anything for me I, there's nobody I can call up to say can you come visit me here yeah uh, unless you're old, unless you're like a senior citizen, 65 years or old or something like that, yeah. there's not really any services or anything. Some some therapists will do, you know, Skype and, and whatever else. But um, it's you're paying somebody $100 an hour to talk on the phone, basically. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't really work for me. I prefer things like this and even just engaging in friendly conversation or it's working out what works for you, isn't it? And I think, yeah. Well, um, it, it wasn't like something stopping me getting out of the house. It was literally that I gave up because I was checking so many things. I was, yeah, I just checked plugs, but, um, like a lot of common OCDs, they'll have like 
um, a certain number that they'll stick to through like a lot of things. Hmm. But with mine, it just depended on like how much I trusted that one thing. Okay. So I had, yeah, so like the... I had um, where my TV was, I had like a long extension, which I probably shouldn't have, have had <laughs> as full as I did. <laughs> but, but like I didn't trust that as much as like I trusted, say, the kettle or, you know. So I'd check things all different times. But honestly, I could easily be there for that many hours that I just was like, there's no point in going out now. Like, <laughs> like we yeah. were supposed to go out at one o'clock and it's now seven. So <laughs> I don't think we should bother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and i think it is that idea that actually like whether it's physical or mental we're all affected in different ways by different things yeah. um and it's being open to to having that conversation about like um we can talk generally about certain stuff and then when you want to say or i want to say like this is what i think or what i feel you can ask questions to try and understand why that person thinks that but at the end of the day you have to accept like that's what that person thinks um yeah. And I think the more people that are open to having those conversations, the better. It doesn't matter unless you support Donald Trump. What do you think at all? (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's an acceptance, I think, that we all think and we all act differently. And that is to the benefit of us as a society, as a culture. Um, If everyone was the same, like that would be extremely boring. There would be no development. We would never really achieve anything. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's nice. Like it's nice to talk to someone where we have kind of similarities where we talk and think similar about certain things, but we also have different opinions on other things as well. Um, And I think particularly when you're talking about um, the the physical illnesses that that while I have seen and heard of in other people, I've not experienced them myself. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to to talk about it in any one way or the other. But it's interesting and I guess rewarding for me that I'm able to to talk to you and to find out about your experience and how and how that's gone, um, and actually to hear about. Um, like just I guess generally learn a little bit more about it in the first instance to be more educated on it um but also to hear like some of the struggles that is someone that is a friend and to hear about like what they've gone through and some of the stuff that you you don't always know um and I think that can be the same I know we've not spoken loads um but there's people that you can know for a long period of time Mm -hmm. and actually they don't come out with as much as you sometimes hear from from other people that you haven't known as long because you're more prepared to ask I guess like certain questions or talk about different topics um and people that we've known longer we don't always feel as comfortable asking that so um I think that's been a really uh interesting way to to kind of find out a little bit more about you and hear about your experience as well so um I think it's been a a very nice conversation I've been so quiet whilst you're talking but I'm sat here and I'm nodding <laughs> that's like, good. That's like good. I've got this like really like positive nod, and I've got this smile on my face, and I'm like, yes, yes. I'm like, someone's <laughs> speaking the truth. I'm like, got my hand up in the air, praising to the universe. But then you can't see none of that, so I'm just no. like, in silence. <laughs> that's good. That's better than um, crossed arms emoji girl. <laughs> I knew you were going to ask me this, <laughs> and if I'm honest. <clears throat> I wish that I had a really lovely 
explanation for it, like yeah. a really fancy story, but I don't. It is literally that I was driving home from work one day and there were roadworks and I was sitting in the traffic thinking, oh, I'd really like to get home. And I was bored and I was tired. And it literally suddenly popped into my head out of nowhere that there aren't any mental health chats on Twitter Mm. or not any that I was aware of anyway. Mm. Um, I'd taken part in some lifestyle blogger chats, back to that word again, (laughs) (laughs) and um, beauty blogger chats. um, And there's like Disney blogger chats and the girl gang chats. And there's so much going on. And I thought, actually, I don't think there is a mental health one. Um, And that's really where it started was just that kind of realisation that I'd really like to speak to other people about this. Mm. Um, So I literally just did a a Twitter poll and I was like, do people want a mental health Twitter chat or is this just one of my crazy ideas where I think, oh, yeah, that's great. And then everyone else is like... What? Mm, no, <laughs> and I really didn't want that to happen. <laughs> but luckily, it didn't, so it was fine. Um, and loads of people were like, yep, really positive about it. We want this to happen. So I thought, all right then. So I drafted up loads of topics, contacted a few people, and that was it. Within days, we were having the first chat. Definitely. And I think this could be one of the reasons why there is such a sense of um, like support and community Mm. amongst everybody that takes part Mm. because yes, there are quite often the same people that come back every week and God, I literally love those people. But also there are people that, as you say, hadn't ever seen it before and they're like, Oh, what's this? And they get involved and the welcome Mm. that these people get and the responses that they get are just, it is so incredible And I think that could be because of the, not only the amount of people that are involved, but also the amount of different types of people that are involved, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's just such a broad spectrum of different people, um, different mental illnesses, different backgrounds, different types of people, that there is always somebody there. Mm. There is always somebody that understands you in some way. And I think that that for me is what makes it so special. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think I think as we go along in it, we start to find the I, I think there's a very important word you use there, which is balance. And I think we have to experience our recovery and, and go through these ups and downs in order to find that balance, because I, I feel like, you know, the more our minds adjust to this is where I was, that's where I want to be. We, you know, if we're going to walk that tightrope, sometimes we have to be in balance and we have to make sure that we don't, um, you know, it's easier the more that you do it. You know, (laughs) unlike Skype calling, it does get easier as you go along. (laughs) I feel like Skype calling's got harder. (laughs) Skype is getting harder, much harder. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think there's also, you know, I think we, we live in, in a society now where, or have for many years, where we treat the symptom, 
You know, we, we treat what's loudest. So when you have a child who's running away and acting out, you you're treating that Mm -hmm. and we don't go back and, and treat the root cause of the disease, if you will, you know, and it's really interesting because, you know, if someone has cancer, you treat it and, and you want to see where the tumors are and you're making sure that you're, um, attacking them directly and at their root in order to save that person's life. Mm -hmm. But when you have a child who's running away from home and they're being abused, we, we're not going back and treating the family unit and looking at where it began and why it is and, and moving forward with that. So, you know, again, in, until we really go backwards in, in this and go right from the beginning and right at the foundation and hit it at the foundation, it isn't going to change. I will say, however, you know, kudos to the UK because you guys are light years ahead of Canada and the US in terms of your foster care system because you guys have been um, experimenting and doing studies on the boarding school, mainstreaming kids into boarding school, I think for the last 15 years, very successfully. And it's interesting because I think part of it happened because uh, less people were willing to be foster carers. Mm. Um, So they had to find a place to put the kids. And so what they ended up doing is taking a a bunch of these at-risk children that would ordinarily have gone into foster homes. They put them into boarding schools. And I mean, I'm talking really good schools and they've done phenomenally well. The gap now lies within um, the social workers not wanting for some reason to go uh, boarding school over foster homes. So now they're kind of the gatekeepers of that, which is something that you guys need to work on. But I I wish that um, Canada and the U.S. was doing that much more, um, you know, much more on a whole. And it's also less expensive, too. So it makes sense on every front. Which is so courageous. Mm. To me, there isn't a braver uh, act. Mm. Because I know how difficult that is. And I've been there myself. Like, it took me months to go to see the doctor. Mm. And even after that, it took me months to phone for therapy. Yeah. I know how difficult making that step is, which is why when other people do it, whether it be, whether they feel that it's right for them or not, still, they've done it. Yeah. Which is huge. But those small victories, we need to give ourselves permission to say, yeah, I did make progress today. I did something today I wasn't able to do before. Oh, that's that's just so true. Those small victories. I mean, I've written about them before. You guys have talked about them. Celebrate every small victory. You're right. I mean, just because you couldn't record a, a podcast like you wanted, you know, find a way to find something good about it. I took some notes about it. I got a plan. I set a new date. Give yourself that win and celebrate it. Share it with somebody. Write it down in like a a win journal or like a victory journal or something. And, you know, keep track of that and refer to those wins because that builds self-confidence. It builds self-esteem. It helps keep us on track. It helps keep us motivated. Um, But you're right. I mean, we've all like all three of us have made monster progress since we've started blogging and our podcasting. And I think. As you say, we are hard on ourselves and we forget to remind ourselves of that, that actually the things that we do, they are brave. They Mm. are courageous. And I think it's so important to remember 
the way that we I'm going off on a complete tangent no go for it (laughs) (laughs) I think it's important to remember the way that we speak to ourselves Mm. and the way that we um are with ourselves how we communicate with ourselves because we should treat ourselves in the same way that we treat a friend Mm. that it's like a really nice atmosphere yeah and I think that's what I really like about like the community on there like Mm. on Twitter it's just it's so nice and like it's really nice to sort of have people answer the questions knowing that the answers to the questions could help other people yeah which is quite nice but um with like the blogging society only one other girl has like set up her own chat and she does travel blogging okay Um, but I think she stopped it now but she like she loved it as well and I think that's kind of what motivated me to do it was Mm. like I saw obviously it does take a bit of planning to set it up and whatever but she enjoyed it so much that I was kind of like well Oh, and obviously at the time I thought there wasn't any mental health chat. <laughs> um, so I just thought, right, well, I'll give it a go as well. So I sort of spent the whole summer holidays with my brother coming up with, like, questions and topics and things like that. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. So now I've got, like, a little book with all my questions and topics in it. And do it like that, really. But oh. I love it. Um, but... I used to work in Asda. Mm-hmm. This is a story. I worked there for two weeks mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, because then I started an internship. But um, like I would have a lot of anxiety about like starting new places. Obviously, it's natural to be nervous, but like my anxiety would be heightened. Um, so when I started at Asda, um, I worked in the bakery section of things. So obviously, like food hygiene was a big thing. Yeah. And. Um, because you're obviously um, packing away lots of like food items and um, you don't really wear gloves unless you have to because um, you're constantly like taking them on and off. So they see it as like an environmental thing. So you just had to wash your hands all the time. Mm. Uh, but nobody ever washed their hands where I worked. Um, and it wasn't really an environment where like people didn't really talk to each other. Like they kind of just got on with their work. Um, there was no kind of like work banter nobody seemed to like each other nobody liked where they were working um, and and I never got close enough to anybody to like bring up the subject of mental mm. health and I think my managers changed in the two weeks that I was there like my wow. manager changed three times oh um, <laughs> so I never got the chance to tell anybody so um I just kind of left it and um it was quite hard to like hide I did have some compulsions while I was there and mm. um, like obviously with hand washing and stuff and um, I was very conscious of like other people eating food that I had touched and um, so and like me being the only person that would wash my hands on a regular basis like everyone was like you, you know you don't need to do that um, but when I left there and went to the internship obviously it was a different story um, where I work now um, I didn't disclose the first office I worked in. Uh, I didn't disclose it for ages um, mm. until I got like particularly close with um, one of my colleagues. And I just have a tendency to like blurt things out and then like <laughs> deal with the consequences of it afterwards. Um, like I don't really think about things <laughs> until after. <laughs> so um, I think um, we were making lunch or something and <laughs> we both had the same thing Um and we had to make, cook it in the microwave, but I like cook things a lot longer than I need to. Um, so she obviously asked why, and I then just said like I had OCD. Um, and like slowly but surely over like the eight to nine months that I was there, 
I kind of just um, opened up to everybody about it. Mm. Um, like it was a really friendly work environment um, and, you know, we would chat about anything and everything. So like the odd time mental health did come up. So when I opened up about it, they were really interested and, um, you know, they were constantly asking questions or people were able to relate, especially with the anxiety side of things more so. Um, you know, one guy like we were sitting comparing like the symptoms that we get when we have panic attacks. Um, like, and I use humor as a defense mechanism, like a coping mechanism. Um, so I kind of take the mick out of myself a wee bit because I feel that's how I cope with it. Mm. Um, which isn't everybody's natural reaction. Some people don't really like doing that, but I find it made them more comfortable to talk about it as well. Yeah. Um, I think like if I'd gone with the really serious approach, um, to start off with I think it would have made them uncomfortable but obviously as I got to know them better I did open up more about how like debilitating it can be um you know it's interesting and I I don't know if this is the way it is with every single runaway but you're not thinking five minutes ahead you're really living in this space that you're in Mm -hmm. um and in the space that you're in you're just trying to figure out okay how am I going to get some food you know or how am I going to um find a bathroom to clean myself up a little bit um in the early days when I ran I was sleeping on um park benches and in a abandoned buildings. And there were times where three or four days would go by without eating. I was too um, prideful to to beg for money, Mm. um, which probably was stupid (laughs) looking back, (laughs) you know, but that's just how I was for whatever reason. I, I was too embarrassed, you know. Um, so I would hang out by like a, a convenience store and I would go inside and, and straighten out the shelves. And sometimes like a manager would give me some food or somebody would come out and give me some change or give me a carton of milk or, or whatever it was. Mm. And I spent, um, quite a, a lot of the early days that way. And then uh, at one point I met another girl who had been a runaway much longer than I had. And at this point, I would say I was about 14. And so she was housing herself in a um, sauna of an apartment building complex, which is great because Mm. it's got a shower, you know, it's, um, we didn't know how to work the sauna, so I can't (laughs) say it was reasonably warm. (laughs) And even if we had, we were afraid of alerting people. So we didn't want to, one night, like we tried to experiment a little bit and realized we were making noise and we were, you know, in danger of discovery. Um, but that was kind of, you know, that, that kind of became our home for some period of time on and off. And I was 18 or 19 at this point. Mm-hmm. So I was such aloof, like, yeah, I'm not mentally ill, I'm fine. And then she was like, okay, tell me a bit about what's going on. So I told her everything and her face dropped. And she was like, oh, my word. And she was like, okay, so I'm going to put an urgent referral through to adult mental health. Mm. You'll have an assessment within a week and then you'll this will happen. And I was like... No, 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 I don't need this. I'm not mentally ill anymore, but thank you. And I was like, I built this massive shield over me. I'd convinced myself that this was my life. I was going to go around hating myself and wanting to be dead, knowing everyone hated me. But this was fine. This this was absolutely fine. So I tried to, like, argue with the doctor. I was like, I am not mentally ill. I am not on medication. I have not had any help. 
for the past three years, and I still here. So I'm not mentally ill. And then she was like, "No, Laura, you really are." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's nice. <laughs> and I was like, eh? And then she like had a little chat with me, and I was like, "Oh shit." Mm. I was like so like thrown back by it all and she'd like explained that I was showing really strong symptoms of what like clinical depression mm. and she didn't have any doubt at all that I had anxiety and I was like well no I, I do not have anxiety for one I do not know what that is and I do not have it mm. and then she was like Laura you do my love and I was like uh no no and I was like, I, I might agree with the depression because I have had that in the past. I got over it, but okay, I will agree to have that again. Mm. But I do not have anxiety. And then she was like, no, Laura, you do. And we're going to get you the help that you need. And I was like, but what about the last three years? And she was like, all I can do is apologize. And I was like, so I've been mentally ill for the past three years. And she's like, I'm really sorry, but you have. And I was like, ugh. <laughs> I had no words and I was like well okay then <laughs> thank you goodbye and then I went home and I was like so jet like I don't know it was as if I was having a com common conversation with my mum and dad mm. and I was like so I'm being referred to adult mental health and they were like oh thank god and I was like but what I was like I have no idea I was like I thought I was just being a normal person yeah, I didn't realise I'd gone in such a, into such a big shell with loads and loads of layers over it. I was like, a zombie apocalypse couldn't get into me. Yeah, no, I think I think it's remembering that everybody will uh, everybody responds differently to different things, and some people might not have cared about that list. Mm. Um, other people would have really cared about that list. and I think it's in this instance I think it's worth remembering that it's set in an American school yep. um, because I think that will have an effect on the reactions as well um, but I think in general it's just to be more aware and People will have different views and different ex exceptions. Some people, a woman might, a situation might be um, dealt with differently by two by two women. One woman might not feel too bad after being mm. catcalled, mm. for example, whereas uh, another woman might feel very violated by it. Yeah, both are completely valid. Mm. Um, ways to react um, there's nothing wrong with either of them and it's about acknowledging that um, and making people aware of that mm. there's not one I think the shoulders are a really great thing of showing that there's not one way to deal with a situation Yeah, and not everybody deals with things the same way and that's okay mm. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it, you know, it's made me, uh, ironically, it's made me a stronger, better person. Um, and it, it makes me, you know, I, I do try to take the good out of any experience that I can. And, mm-hmm. and the, some of the good that's come out of it is I can relate to any person from any walk of life and with very little judgments. I mean, I'm human. We all have a, a moment, you know, yeah. um, of, I will call that weakness. Um, but for the most part, like I, 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 I have an understanding for people that I think is unique because I was a child of the streets and because I've lived with nothing and because I know what it is to struggle and go hungry. And, and likewise, I have an appreciation for my, what would be my worst day now could never be as bad as any of that. Right. Yeah. So it, 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 how we, how we view the world and how we take our negative experiences and how we decide to to um, recover from from them is really a decision. It's really a choice. You know, it's a it, it's a very conscious decision to look at the upside of it rather than the downside of it. Mm, and now I'm trying to continue to do something good from it um, because I think that's that's the best way to to live life. You know, it's paying it forward. I guess. I, I think it's it's definitely an issue. Um, even like like I like I'm I'm Dominican. Both of my parents were born in the Dominican Republic. Um, even in, in, in Dominican culture, like when I first started telling people I was depressed, a lot of people would be like, what are you depressed about? Uh, it's all in your head. You have nothing to be sad about. And, and that's what I dealt with. Like literally in the, in the Dominican culture, you won't, it's just, it's just something that's not spoken about, which to me, it's just like, that's, it's, it's so saddening. It's so heartbreaking that people just view it as, oh, it's just, it's something in your head. It's just like. It's like, obviously, if, if that's why it's called a mental illness, but it's, yeah. they, they just, they view it as, oh no, it's, it's, it's nothing. You're fine. Even when I, I got my first marketing job in LA, I, I told my boss about it and she said the same thing. Like, oh, you're fine. You're not depressed. It's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. Mm. Um, but, but as far as to answer your question, yeah, it's, 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 it's definitely something that that's very, very prevalent. Um, you won't, see, I, I read an article, I think it was. It was, I don't know if it was LA Times or it was, it was a, a, a national magazine, online magazine. And, and the person was Dominican and, and they were, they said the same thing. They were like, yeah, you know, in Dominican culture, it's just, it's something that's not, not talked about. And, and, and that for me, that's, that's also another reason too, why I want to speak about it. Just so other people of color know, Hey man, it's, 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 it's nothing, nothing wrong with getting help. Like it's, it's mental illness does not discriminate. You know, you could be mm-hmm. rich, you could be a doctor, lawyer, student, gay, straight. Like it's gonna, it's it's gonna affect anybody. But yeah, I I, I definitely notice it. Even um, to go back to the show, this is my brave LA. If if you look at past shows they've done in in, in any of their cities, you would see, you'll see the majority of people are are, are American. Mm-hmm. If 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 they go to a city like let's say. Baltimore, which is pr- predominantly black, that cast is is, is obviously you, you'll see you're going to see a lot more colored, colored place, colored faces. Mm-hmm. But uh, when they go to any other major city, you'll see the majority of people speaking up. It's it's white females, and for me, I'm just like, man, like I don't that's, know why people. Yeah, that's so hard because when you were saying that, I was like, oh, that's great. There are places where you have got like a lot of um, people of color standing up and talking, but actually, they're probably standing up and talking in the places where 
they are the majority and so maybe don't need it (laughs) um they need to go to the places where they are the minority and where it is white dominant because for a young black male or female person to actually see someone stand up and talk to them a little bit more they are going to associate with well potentially they're going to associate more with that person because of maybe the struggle or the identity that they feel with that person rather than as you say someone that's white and maybe talks a certain way um it's like again not knowing the show the purpose of it i i would think is to really kind of help to break that stigma to raise awareness and to connect with people that um watch or view the show um and to do that, you do need to meet not just the majority, but those people that fit into um, or don't necessarily fit into that minority. Minority, ugh, the majority. <laughs> Jesus, yes, so no, many M's. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, you, you nailed it. Um, and a person might see that you're wearing a, a like a Rolex watch and think that you're rich. Uh, it might be that you know, your great uncle gave it to you and you're not rich, but you really love the watch. So two things are wrong. You know, you never get a chance to explain it. And the person that's, that just judged you just thinks of you in a particular way now that's kind of hard to change their mind. Mm. Uh, yeah. So, uh, no, it's a, that's a really good example because I think that does tie in um, to like the mental health side of things. I mean, in, in that example that you're giving, it's about saying this person's wearing a watch and so they have money um and the idea that we have oh because um this person is happy and smiley like that means they don't struggle with anxiety or depression and those those judgments and that assumption that we make based on a lot of the time it it is appearance because that's the thing that we see and we don't always have that interaction with those people and it's it's the first um like they say it's that first impression it's the first couple of seconds you see someone likelihood is in those first couple of seconds the most you're going to do is see someone you're not necessarily going to hear them or have that interaction with you you are just purely going on on the visual but obviously i just wanted to see where this would go and my therapist is really nice um he's really understanding of my situation anything i'll say to him where i feel like oh i feel like i'm just being stupid or whiny he's always there to reassure me that it's perfectly normal and other people have felt like this before and it's really nice because then i feel so comfortable to talk about how i feel and i don't think i'd get the best out of the situation unless i was really open about my experiences yeah. and we've talked about some pretty difficult topics like my relationship with my father growing up because obviously my parents got divorced when i was three and a half and we didn't have a great relationship says the name change and we talked about that we talked about past relationships and things some of which are quite difficult to talk about but i've always come away feeling a lot more positive and like really excited for the next session i have them weekly Mm. or i think it i think i've got six more so eight in total but i can request more if i need and it's just my little safe space if you like somewhere i can go and just open up no judgment and walk out of there feeling a lot better Mm. It's just such a sort of manifestation of what we didn't have. You know, we had this big house, empty, with just us two in it. It just was like, it was just, it just made us feel even more, you know, that it, it, we, we, we didn't have what we wanted, which was these children. Yeah. And so um, over the course of a sort of a year or so, we just gradually 
grew apart and ended up living in separate floors of this house. It was just awful, really. And then, um, but yeah, like you say, I mean, you literally have to start everything over again. So we ended up selling the house of, oh, it's about 2013. And I bought uh, this house that I've got now. And it's, you know, when you live on your own, you literally have to start completely again. I've never lived on my own. And I just remember everybody sort of helping me move in on the day. And then everyone goes home and you're just sort of like, Oh God, what do I do now? You know, I'm just sort of living in this house on my own, sort of unpacked everything. And I'm just sort of sitting here like, what am I going to do now? And it just is awful because you just think, you know, I'm cl close to 40 and I've got to start everything all over again. And don't even get me started on the dating, <laughs> Tinder and all that stuff. I mean, I actually met my current boyfriend now on Tinder, but everyone's like, how did that even happen? Because it's just so not the sort of the site that you tend to actually meet a partner on. But... Um, yeah, I mean, the whole dating thing, again, at that age, was just, like, so scary. And pretty much all of my friends, you know, were married with children, so people weren't going out as much. Mm. So I thought, I've just got to, like, put myself out there. And that's the thing, really. I think you just have to, like, pick yourself up and put yourself out there. Otherwise, you could literally just become a hermit. I could, I could be, like, one of those mad cat ladies, you know, just living in a house on her own with ten cats. <laughs> We've been, you've been dead and the cats are just eating your <laughs> rotting corpse where you haven't, you haven't put yourself out there. So eventually you've just got to say, I mean, I had about a year where I just sort of licking my wounds and feeling sorry for myself and, you know, drinking too much and going out and stuff. And then I was just like, no, I've got to take stock of this situation and get back, get back on the horse, as they say. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, I've, I've I've kind of seen that here too. Um, more more artists have been speaking up about having depression or suicidal thoughts, and and I usually don't look at comment section of any articles just because mm -hmm. people on the internet can just I don't know they can be some of the meanest, cruelest people. But yeah. it, it was basically just like the article you talked about. One of the comments was just like, "Oh, this artist is talking about being depressed and suicidal because it's the thing to do now. That's that's what everyone's talking about. They just want to get." more album sales and, and more promotion for themselves. And I'm just like, just like you said, that's the negative side to it. And I'm like, come on. I'm like, these people just probably feel comfortable enough now. They see other artists and celebrities and successful people and just anybody talking about it. I'm like, don't don't be negative about that. Just be happy. You know, it's, it's helping conversation. Yeah. Thing, you know, when you do feel alone and when you feel like an oddball or when you feel like there's something wrong with you, I mean, it's just a terrible feeling and you, and you don't know where to place those feelings and what to do with them. And I did struggle before I wrote the Stigma Fighters piece because I didn't want to bring people down. And I'm always so concerned about how I present my, I guess, history because I, I never would want to trigger anyone else to feel bad. Mm. But then again, I thought, but you know what, if someone else cannot feel alone or if someone else can identify, then that is going to be the purpose. So that, because once you feel like exactly what you just said, yeah. if you, if there are other people that you feel like you can identify with, that just makes things easier. Um, one thing I've, I want to spin this a little bit is like Wes, you are a podcaster. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a blogger and a podcaster, Mike, you're, you know, you make vlogs and you do podcasts and whatnot, but what's the one big common thing between all of this is social media. I mean, mm. if you're going to be a blogger and a podcaster, <laughs> obviously social media is hugely important. It's how we get our word out, how we get our podcasts, our blogs, how we interact and meet new people. And man, can you get burnout on social media or what? Oh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Seriously, oh, dude. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we all need it. I mean, yeah. otherwise, I mean, that's how we reach everybody. We're tweeting, we're Facebooking, we're, pin, we're Pinteresting, we're, we're Instagramming, whatever. And, you know, 
We're spending all these times recording these videos and recording these podcasts and writing these posts. And then you got to tweet them out and Facebook them and do all this shit. And, you know, but that's how we, you know, I mean, that's how just, that's how you get the word out. You know, it's not like, you know, 50 years ago when everybody was just writing newspapers and reading magazines. I mean, mm-hmm. we can get our, our, our self, our word, our, our, our work out instantly, but at the same time, man, I mean, getting burnt out on social media is, is a huge problem. It's something that I have to be really careful of, you know, notifications on your phone and, you know, somebody tweets, so you got to tweet them back or you got to, you know, you, you got to, you got to get this podcast podcast out X number of times after you record it. I mean, one big thing about recovery and getting burnt out is, is, is being careful with social media. And, you know, it's not, not a bad, um, idea that, you know, when you take some downtime for yourself to just freaking unplug, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, turn off, off the notification now. Great. Trust me. It's easier said than done. And I suck at it. <clears throat> I mean, I, I will be the first to tell you that I have a huge, hugely hard, difficult time unplugging <clears throat> because yeah. I, I just do like even all my downtime, I'm checking my phone. I'm scrolling through Facebook while I'm in line at the grocery store doing all this and that. But man, I mean, guys, I mean, like it, both you guys chime in. I mean, tell me like, it can be completely exhausting trying to keep up during your recovery journey, you know, because social media is a tool and it's a help and, and it's an asset. It, it can also be a huge detriment if you're not careful. I get so into it and so engulfed that it takes up all of my free time. So I have to really be careful to listen when my body says, dude, slow down. It's not a race. Take a break, take a day off, do something fun and just let your mind rest. You know, because I mean, this is hard work, whether it's recovery from addiction, recovery from abuse, whatever it is. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard. It's exhausting. It takes a lot of mental, you know, stamina, it takes a lot of physical stamina. And it's just important to be able to listen when our body says, slow down, take some time off, don't quit, you know, because, but just realize that, you know, it's time to take a break and relax for a little bit and get back into it on a more moderate pace, on a more self um, validating pace instead of going full bore and never taking a break. Cool. So with that, we're going to sign this off and, um, thanks for listening and we will all talk to you again soon. And I don't know how else to end this. So I'm just going to shut up now. (laughs) Bye everybody. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) Clearly at all. So (laughs) we're done. See ya. See ya. (laughs) All right, guys. Take care. Yep. All right, guys. You too. Yep. See ya. Sure. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. It's been my pleasure talking to you. No, it's been really cool. And it's really cool to kind of talk through and to be able to read your stories and have my own thoughts on them and then talk back to the person that's written them down is is really interesting. Yeah, I bet. I bet. <laughs> you don't often get that so. chance. I, I, you know, I, I mean, if not, well, I'm sorry. You got to book the show, but yeah. uh, I'm supposed to be, I'm trying to be as interesting as I can. Great. Look forward to it. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Have a really nice evening and talk soon. Yeah, no worries. Have a good evening and thank you very much for having me on the podcast. No worries. See you. I'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Awesome. Thank you cool. so much. Enjoy the rest of your evening. <laughs> no worries. Enjoy the gym. <laughs> I will. Great. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. All right, thank you. Cool. Thanks for coming on, Liv. It's my pleasure. Ah, have a nice evening. You too. Bye. Bye.
You're welcome, man. Again, thank you so, so much for, for having me, Mike. I'll be sure to let you know when the show goes up on YouTube. Cool. Thank, thank you. you. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Bye. <laughs> thank you for having me. That's okay. Have a lovely evening, Hannah. And you too. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Okay, don't. Yeah, that's good. Cool. Thank you for your time. Thanks. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> that's okay. Thanks for chatting. Talk to you next time. Speak to you soon. Bye. See you soon. Bye. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Speak to you later on. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Okay, I'm going. Yeah, let's go. Have a okay. good lunch. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> I still have snow out here, all right. So and I've got and I've got the freaking air conditioner back on. So that that's that tells you all you need to know. All right, brother. You guys take care. We'll see you. All right, everyone. Bye. Thank you very much for coming on, and we will talk again soon. Me. Yeah, definitely was. <laughs> well, that was a slight deviation from saying goodbye, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I had um, a couple of like the early podcasts, and I just got into like really talking to people, and I was like, "Crap, there's like three hours here," and I just feel like I can't be asked to edit it. I'll just cut yeah. it in half and do episode uh, one so and that's, two. <laughs> that's where that comes in, then. The I can't can't be asked yeah. to edit. It three hours of content to trawl through yeah. <laughs> yeah i just like the talking to people i can't really be asked with like all the technical stuff <laughs> all right my brother um thanks a ton for for having me on and uh yeah, thanks thanks for chatting danny and um absolutely. especially really like you say when it's the first time you've come on and, and done stuff it's really cool that um we've been able to kind of chat through for so long so it's been cool yeah really cool really uh really good time and uh um good luck with uh, with editing and all that stuff i'm sure, I'm sure yeah. you're gonna have a blast with that i feel like it's gonna be quite easy i am i'll i think most of what we've said it can will be fine all i've got to do is just pick out that bit where you introduce yourself and and that's it yeah that's so true that's it's true. nice and easy there's no there's no yeah this um, was, was the nice bit where the calls dropped out time. before we started talking so that's not a yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's about it yep cool okay then. have a good evening and right. uh talk to you again soon all right be well cool thank you very much you too danny all right awesome good night cheers night it's pronounced hold on i need to take a drink first what no, 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 it's your own, it's your own name <laughs> <laughs> it's pronounced like clothly like you know like oh, a lock okay. yeah like well you don't know what lock is there's a lock over here okay. but um it's pronounced like that but people just say like clockly and i'm happy with that oh. um that's what my nickname is at university. It was Clock. Um, people pronounce it Cluffly. But you know what? If you just said, like, attempt it, I'll know you're talking about me. So then I'll just come to you. So. Just say Laura. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you attempt any, like, any pronunciation of my surname, I will know that it's me you're talking about. So. <laughs>
Oh my god, that was so much fun. <laughs> Honestly, I haven't stopped smiling. My cheeks actually hurting. Oh, that's really good. Oh, I'm so nervous, but... Honestly, I've never done it before.